Welcome to the Sick Mom's Guide podcast, episode eight. Hello. Welcome to the Sick Mom's Guide podcast with your host, Jen Hardy. Jen is an author, wife, mom of seven, and collector of eclectic diseases. Jen believes that if moms with health issues can join together to lift the veil of shame and ditch the guilt, then as a community, we will make each other stronger. I am so thankful to be talking to Alexa Bigwarf today. But I do need you to know that this may be a trigger for some people. The topic of our podcast today is the loss of a child. One in four women will experience um, miscarriage or loss of a child in their lifetime. And that is a very large number. It's bigger than I had any idea. So if this is something that is difficult for you to listen to, I encourage you to stop the podcast and go to another episode. There are a lot of other ones to choose from. But for a lot of us, this is very important to listen to. Alexa has some really great ways to get through or help others get through the loss of a child. She's experienced it herself and now helps women all over to grieve and get through their grief and learn how to smile again. So I look forward to talking to her and I thank you again for joining us. Here we go. Hey, Alexa, how are you doing today? I'm good, Jen. How are you? I'm doing great. I am so excited to have you on. Um, as I told you before, I've kind of been watching what you've been doing over the last year and I, you just really stand out to me as somebody who's impacting women in a super positive way. And so I wanted to have you on to talk about your life and what you're doing and, and the way you're positively moving forward, even though you've been through some stuff that's kind of hard. So um, I thought maybe we could start off with you telling a little bit about yourself and your family. Sure. Um, Well, I think like, uh, it's kind of funny when people say, well, I don't really have a lot to say about myself. I don't feel that way. I have a lot to say about myself. So well, well, you know, if, oh my goodness, that just co- totally came across the wrong way. But the thing is, no, it's good. You've got a lot going on. <laughs> well, and the thing is, I feel like we all have a lot to say about our, uh, ourselves. We just have to decide, you know, when we're, what we're willing to embrace. But basically, I am the mother of uh, three living children and one angel who takes up a lot of space in our lives for a, a very important reason. And, um, my husband and I, um, let's see, we met when we were both, when he was serving active duty and when I was getting ready to go in active duty. It was a crazy time. And I mean, we're, we're going to war. We're doing all these things. We're all over the world. And um, because of that, we, we got married twice and our, not all of our family even knows that we got married the first time. So <laughs> we'll have to be careful who I share this with. No, I'm just kidding. But um, we we wound up waiting a while before we had our first child. So I was 30 when we started having kids and, um, you know, came, came into motherhood kind of unprepared, didn't really know what was happening. Now looking back on it, I struggled really badly with postpartum depression and I didn't really know it. But I remember 
<laughs> after he went back to work, I remember one day sitting in the bathroom and for the life of me, I could not get the song. One is the loneliest number to stop repeating over oh. and over through my head. It was crazy. But I separated from the Air Force around this same time. And I promise there's a reason all this stuff is linked because I decided I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. Um, but I left the Air Force. We came back to the States. We were living in Germany at the time. It was a big adjustment, a huge adjustment. My husband was also a civilian by this time. He didn't find a job that was great. I wound up going back into um, Homeland Security, working for in doing counterterrorism. Super stressful job. Uh, we had our second baby a couple years later. And um, when she was about 15 months old, I finally convinced my husband that it was time for me to hang up the counterterrorism hat and to stay home with these two little almost as bad as terrorists some days. <laughs> I love my children. Some people get very angry at me when I refer to them like that, but I think any mom can joke about their children and, and realize that we still love them very much. But um, where my story really came into be is shortly after, like months after I left working full-time, where I was still trying to figure out how to deal with this three-year-old, he just turned four, and then a 15-month-old that I had to call their babysitter almost every day because I didn't know what they did during the daytime. <laughs> I was like, when do I feed them? How do I do this? What's going on wow. here? I found out I was pregnant with our third and fourth children. So um, very unexpectedly uh, did we find out we were having twins. I did not realize at the time that anyone is capable of having identical twins. And uh, basically the, the, uh, the doctors don't know what makes the egg split. So if you can have a baby, you can have identical twins. So my mission kind of after we went through this situation is to make sure that everybody's aware of what we wound up being diagnosed with, which was twin to twin transfusion syndrome. Lots of stuff I could tell you about that, but in a nutshell, right. they don't share the placenta equally. One of them gets entirely too much fluid. The other one does not get enough. And oh, wow. in many, it's 100% fatal if no, no treatment taken. And then with there are several different types of treatment options. And even so, the odds are not always great. And babies are almost always born severely preterm. Um, and one the death of one baby in TTTS is is a high percentage. So um, I was told this at 20 weeks. We carried them, and at the time, the doctor said both were going to die. Um, I wound up being hospitalized three times the la over the next 10 weeks, the last time for almost five weeks, and the babies were born just after 30 weeks. Our larger baby, who had been taking on too much fluid, um, she was born with congenital heart disease. The entire right side of her heart was not functioning. Her lungs weren't developed because she had uh, too much fluid building up in her body from taking on all this extra stuff. Um, and she passed away after two days. Her twin sister was born uh, at one pound, 10 ounces because she was not getting enough fluids. And um, she... Luckily, had the benefit of being in the in the womb for 30 weeks. So while she was the size of a 25, 24, 25 weeker, she had the lung development and some more of the brain development and other things that were happening. But she was still quite touch and go for a while. And we wound up in the NICU for 84 days with her, multiple surgeries. Um, I am very happy to say that she is now a very rambunctious and healthy six-year-old with, from what we can tell so far, zero 
repercussions from being so preterm and so tiny. So, well, that's amazing. It is amazing. She is truly a miracle. Um, because of that situation, we, I put, I didn't know what to do with myself. I knew I had all this energy and I wanted to do something. So we were in the NICU um, from December to March of 2010, 2011. I'm sorry, 2011, 2012. And they started doing the March for Babies um, promotion. I'd heard of the March of Dimes, but I didn't really know or understand what it was. And once I found out that their mission was basically advancement of maternal and neonatal care, um, that the NICUs exist because of them, that all of these things like lung surfactant and um, newborn health screening and all these wonderful things are because of the March of Dimes, um, we set right to work. And in about five weeks, we raised $6,000 for the March of Dimes for our first walk. So that becomes something really important to us that we and and it it basically um, that was the beginning of my advocacy, and I've been advocating ever since then for healthy moms, healthy babies, healthy children, basically anything to do with children's health or maternal health now. So um, I started blogging, and my blog became an outlet for a lot of a lot of things for me. My blog was actually like the beginning of um, a career that I didn't know I was going to have, and it started just being a place where I could express a couple of things. First of all, talk about my own grief and say the words that I didn't feel like I could say out loud, but I needed to share. But right. it also allowed me to um, to advocate for twin to twin transfusion syndrome to make sure people were aware of it and what could happen with it because twenty percent of end up diagnosed with TTTS and that's a huge number. Um, so, you know, I started blogging, I started engaging with people, and then I realized I wanted to do more. I started writing about how to help a grieving family too, which seemed to really um, be popular with people. And, and still to this day, six years later, that's what people come to my blog for, what to say when somebody's baby has died, basically is my number one type search term. Um and, and so we wrote a book. I, I, I came together with a bunch of other grieving parents, and we put together a book to help grieving parents. And we called it Sunshine After the Storm, A Survival Guide for the Grieving Mother, because we wanted them to know that in their worst hour, to be encouraged and hopeful that one day they would smile again and that life would be normal again, and to kind of navigate what happens after after the death of your baby in terms of like what people might say and do and how they respond and how you talk to your children and how to, you know, how to do all these different things. So I've been going rambling on and on and on. So in a very short nutshell, I will wrap it up to say when I started, when I published that book, I found out that I had an absolute love for writing. I mean, I always knew I, I wanted to be a writer, but like I loved the process of publishing a book. So as soon as I had an opportunity, you know, I have three small kids at home. We did, right. um, we did Lose the Cape, co-author and I wrote Lose the Cape, Realities for Busy Modern Moms and Strategies to Survive, which is a totally different kind of encouragement from the grieving mother. It was encouragement for moms who feel uh, inadequate because of what's in our faces all the time on what it means to be a good mom. So we wanted right. to know that, you know, being a mom is tough. Let's not make it harder by trying to live up to expectations that we'll never meet and let's help each other. So I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And that just kind of 
started a process where then okay, you've done two books. How do you do this? What's happening? So I started helping others. And, and I realized that my mission in life is helping bring other women's stories to the world and doing that through, through publishing, through writing books. Oh, that's great. So when your first book, when you did your first book, did you self-publish that one? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yes and no. Technically, it is self-published in the fact that I did it all by myself. Um, I did hire out an editing session. I hired out um, the cover design, which actually was terrible because I didn't know what I was doing. And I found a freelancer that supposedly did cover designs, but I wound up having to get a new cover design a couple years later when, once I realized what's actually supposed to be on a cover. Uh, um, and then, but I did the layout, I did everything like that. But what I did when I, when I published the book was I created an imprint, um, which means basically I created a, a company that's behind the books and I titled it, I named it Cat Biggie Press, um, for Catherine Bigwarf, which is my daughter who passed away. So, um, and and it, because of that, because of the legacy that the name of my publishing house holds, I right. am very picky about who I publish. So it's all women, and it's all encouragement, and it's all um, or self help, transformation, bringing light and help into the world. Oh, that's great! Yeah, that is great. Yeah, I self published. It would be nice to have somebody like that working beside you, I think, because it, it was, it's a, it's a big job. It is. It, writing is a big job. It is. And depending on your goals with publishing a book, I mean, there's so many different things that you need to know and don't need to do, know. And so I have my publishing house and then I have Write, Publish, Sell, which is my author support services, basically. And that's what you were just describing, like keywords and, and all those kinds of things. So, yeah. Good. Well, that's great. Okay. Can I ask you, um, you were talking about your book and your blog and how you tell people what to say if somebody's lost a baby. Yes. Can you talk about that a little bit for people that have no idea? Because I know I've got several friends who have lost babies or children. Mm-hmm. And um, I know a lot of people will just completely ignore them because they're afraid they're going to say the wrong thing, which is totally the wrong thing to do because then they're even more isolated than they were before. Yes. So what, what, what are some good things to do and to say in that moment, in that time that they're really struggling? Well, first of all, you hit it right on the head. Ignoring them is the absolute worst thing to do. So a lot of times we'll talk about what not to do and then, and then kind of the things you can do and what not to do is definitely not to ignore them. And those are the people that stand out the most in my mind. Some of my closest friends that did not acknowledge the death of our child, that did not come to the funeral, that did not do those kinds of things. And I just wanted to be very clear to everyone listening because people will be like, well, I don't want to remind you. There's nothing that you can do or say that's going to help or hurt me. <laughs> like, like when it comes to reminding me of my daughter, she's with me every moment of everything. There are lots of things that are reminding me of her. You as a friend who's coming to comfort me is not going to bring me Only um, but there are some things that are better than others. I think one of the best things to do that people often overlook and don't realize is just the importance of being somebody who's willing to listen to the mom talk about her baby. Because I, one of the common themes that I have seen in working with moms who have lost babies, whether it's right after they found out they were pregnant or when the baby's a year old, 
um, we like, we are so afraid our baby is going to be forgotten. And so if you can honor that baby by mentioning their name, by saying that you want to, if they want to talk about it, some people don't want to talk about it, but a lot of people do. Um, and case in point, a girlfriend of mine lost a baby not too long ago at 18 weeks, which was really sad. And, um, I went over to, to bring her dinner and, um, and she talked to me for two hours, just telling me uh, she wanted me to know that baby. And, and for her, right. you know, she wanted to tell her story. She wanted to speak about it. So that's really important. I'm sorry is usually a, a fairly safe thing to say. Some people get upset when you say, I'm sorry for your loss, but that's a risk that I think it's okay to take because most people will, will see your, that you're being genuine and, and be okay with you saying, I'm sorry for your loss, but really just saying that you love them and that you will not forget their baby and that you're there to listen if they want to talk to you. Those are some of the most important things that you can do. The other thing that I tell people is that when you're going through something like that, and you can probably compare this if you've ever lost anyone close to you in your life, like your brain, you're, you're foggy, you're kind of an autopilot. And when someone comes and says, what can I do for you? Or how can I help? It's very overwhelming. You're, you're worried about so many other things in that moment. I people had just, and, you know, just decided to bring us dinner or just decided to send a housekeeper to help us clean up or whatever is appropriate, depending on what the situation is, you know, because it's really, really, really hard to think about how to help someone else help you. (laughs) Oh, that's, that's a good way to put it. That's a really good way to put it. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you know, there, you can not go wrong with buying gift cards so that they can go out to dinner with bringing them a a freezer friendly meal or a shelf friendly meal, or even a cooked meal with buying a gift certificate for something for self care, anything like that. Um, you know, it's, oh, yeah, things like that that help them take care of themselves. Because while we want people to get over something like that super, super fast, the reality is psychologists say that the average deep grieving time for a significant loss, uh, be it your mother, your child, your dad, whatever, is 18 to 24 months. So two years and we expect moms to be over and better within weeks. Um, Please don't ever, ever say, speaking of things to say, just get over it or you can have another one. Those are the worst and most harmful things you can ever possibly say, especially if someone is really struggling to heal and someone else says, just get over it. Like there's something severely wrong with them. Now, that being said, if they're at the two year point and they're still grieving as heavily as they were at the beginning, then I think it's kind of your duty to help them get professional help because they're starting to get into that danger zone of, of other things of other areas. But I mean, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a doctor. So this is what I say just based off of my experience and, and lots of interactions and and grief sport and all of those types of it, it. Healing takes time and sometimes it takes a lot of time. Yeah. Okay. Well, that is, that's such, that's such good information. Cause I know, um, one of my friends lost a son at 
17 and um, she lost all her friends when she lost her son too, because everyone just deserted her because no one knew, you know? And so I would go and just listen and she just, I mean, she wanted to talk a lot. Um, But, but I think not as painful, obviously as losing your child, but at a time when you don't need more loss to lose the people that had been your support system is really, really hard. So it's great that you're giving everybody like these things to say so that the person doesn't have to go through all that extra loss when they've lost somebody that it's just unfathomable to people who haven't been there, what that loss would be. So I just, I so appreciate you being willing to talk about it. And I think that's another thing is, you know, nobody wants to talk about death. I think especially like in our culture, um, people just don't want to talk about it. And so it's something that people don't want to bring up and they don't, you know, they just want to pretend like it doesn't exist, but unfortunately it, you know, it does exist. We're all going to deal with loss at some point. So um, it's people like you that are stepping up and saying, yes, this is hard and it's painful and it's bringing back things for me, but I'm going to get through that to help you get through your loss too. And I think, does you, do you feel like, does, does it help you at all to help other people get through oh it? Oh my does gosh, it- so much. That's one of the best things that has come out of it actually is just that feeling of knowing that I did something. And that's what kept me blogging actually was that I would get emails from people that would say, I was so alone. I didn't know anyone else was going through this. Thank you. like that. And it started a, after we wrote the book, we started a nonprofit for grieving parents to send care packages. Um, because I found, this is going to sound funny, but in that whole thing, it's, it's called sunshine after the storm, just like the book. And we send care mm-hmm. packages free of charge to people who have lost babies and a baby or pregnancy. That is so amazing. And well, you know, it's funny because I got a couple of packages from strangers and, um, and those to me stand out almost more. I, I remember pretty much every, well, I don't remember everything. It was a really, it's a really kind of in and out time in my memory, but right. I, I do remember how blown away I was by the fact that some strangers would think of me and try and help me during that time. Um, so we send at first we were just sending copies of the book and then I was like, this isn't enough. I want to do more. So we started doing things like, um, like soft fuzzy socks and tea bags and chocolate when it's not summertime and going to melt from coming out of here. Um, you know, fingernail polish, um, bath salts and things like that to remind them to take some time to take care of themselves because we often forget, especially if we have other family members to take care of the moms always put themselves last. And, um, Back to your point on on the society and grief and everything, I'm actually on a mission to talk more about grief, particularly with children, um, because we we found that people thought we were really weird, that we talked so much with our kids about it, and that um, we talk about death as much as we do. And I don't want my children to be those awkward adults. The one thing that is certain in this life is that we're all going to die. And as, as sad as that, as negative as that right. sounds, you know, I want my children to, to be able to have conversations and to be able to, you know, it never makes it less sad. But some of the best things that happened to me after that time were the precious, precious conversations that I had with my two and four year old. And, 
you know, we keep Catherine very much a part of our lives. Her twin sister talks about her all the time. And um, some people find that very awkward, but. Right. What's that? Yeah. My mom passed away in June and my kids were there. You know, we went to go see her before she passed. We knew it was, she had had a massive heart attack and we had the kids in the room and they knew we were going to say goodbye and they knew what was going to happen. And people were mortified. Um, Just more, but, but the thing is that this is going to happen. And I wanted them to know, like, it's a peaceful thing. Like they were in the room, like, you know, it wasn't some very violent, whatever this is, this is how it happens. So when they're thinking about it, you know, especially like as me with, I have all these health issues and, and I want them to know, like, if something happens, it's not, I don't know, because when you don't have any understanding of what it's like, it's very scary. I mean, it's scary anyway, but it's, I think it's a lot scarier if it's like the secretive hidden, horrible thing. And if you know, okay, this is, you know, is we're going to miss that person, you know, we're going to miss them so much, but especially like if they're very sick and their body is fighting so hard and they're so miserable that sometimes it is better for them, even though that doesn't take away our pain. Right. You know, well, they're but, curious. Yes. They're very curious they're, about, and they're not scared about death like adults are, but they want to know, for, this is my perspective, at least with my children, they, they, I think it's a shame to like protect them and hide them from it because they don't fear death like we do. And they're not, they, it, they just approach it so differently. And, and it's mostly a curiosity thing. It's, it's right. completely, they don't understand it at all, but it's very, they, they want to, and they ask questions in a way. And I know that my children, like, they are very, like, they just, they, they understand grief a lot better than a lot of other people do. And I think that's a good thing for them. I think so too. And I think allowing people, tell, giving people permission to grieve, mm-hmm. you know, because so many times we're like, here's a Kleenex, dry your tears. It's going to be fine. Just get over it. Right. You know, like you were saying, like, but no, it is okay to grieve. You're not going to get through it if you don't let yourself like feel the sadness, right. talk about it, get it out. And, and, oh, I'm just going to share this with everybody. I want everybody to hear what you have to say because I think we need, but people need to know, you know, and it may be your child and it, or it may be a, a sibling or a parent or, you know, but wh- whatever you're going through, the same kind of things apply. But especially when you've lost a child, it, it's almost like a taboo thing in our culture. You just can't talk about it. And, you know, I think there's so many women that are struggling with depression and anxiety and all these things, and they've had to bury all these feelings yeah, and just to know that like you're out there, like if, if somebody is listening to this and they have gone through all this and they still are grappling with how to handle it, that there is a place that they can reach out to or, or if their friends going through, they can, you know, pass along your information and, and know that they're not alone and that it is going to be okay. It's not going to be easy, right? but it's going to be it's going to get to a place where you're okay and you can still live your life and you don't have to have guilt because you're living. And that's, you know, that's another thing, you know, and you're taking what could have been, you know, and you're just turning it into helping other people so that they know that. And I just really admire you for that. Well, thank you. It's a a really amazing thing. You know what? It, it, it has been what saved me because I think it's really easy to get lost in, in your grief. And I just remember I was participating. There's a lot of, 
there's a lot of grief groups that aren't healthy, I will say. And I was in one of those and everything was negative and everything was, I mean, somebody will come in and just go to town on some pregnant woman and something that she said or did. And I'm like, this is not what I want to be a part of. I, I don't want to be a part of making my sadness and grief worse. I want to make it better and I want to help others make it better too. And, you know, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I, I, my twins would have been six this year. I still look at twins and I wonder why they got to be okay and mine didn't. I think those are normal questions. Uh, that does right. not mean for a second that I wish that they weren't okay. Let's clarify right. that right now. I just always wonder <laughs> like, why didn't my situation work? Will I ever get to a point where when I see another twin mom that I don't want to just immediately say, I'm a twin mom too. You see both of my girls, right. but you know. And things that just stick with you forever that have lost babies to know that, that, that that's normal too. And I remember my sister telling me that she didn't realize the significance of how much it, it hurt to lose a baby until she shared with a friend of hers from church um, that, that Catherine had died and the woman started crying and shared her story that 53 years ago, she had had a stillborn baby. Wow. So it never goes away. It never goes away, but you right. can be happy again. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's the key for people to know, even if they're not there yet, mm -hmm. that it can happen. Mm -hmm. So, exactly. well, thank you so much for sharing all of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So to kind of move on into a little something different. Um, one of my things about um, having people on the show or people who have, well, who are going through something with, I think what you've already gone through, but like health wise too, I think it's pretty amazing. So you, you have children, you have three children, mm -hmm. you have gone through all of this, you're have a blog and you have a podcast and you have a publishing company and you're an author, but you also have a health issue that you're dealing with. I do. I, I have multiple health issues. Well, I guess they kind of roll into the same bag. I have um, autoimmune diseases. When I was 19, um, I was diagnosed with Graves' disease, which actually was a misdiagnosis. I actually uh, was later, the, um, it was reversed to Hashimoto's, which is a thyroid. It's not just thyroid disease. Like you can be, you can have an inactive or a hyperactive thyroid problem and have a thyroid right. issue, but then there's autoimmune disease, thyroid issues, which is Hashimoto's and Graves' disease. And you're all over the place, which is why originally I was diagnosed with Graves because when they tested me that one time, my thyroid was like super high because that's what happens when your body Anyway, we don't need to get into the science behind it. So with auto, basically, um, autoimmune diseases tend to run in packs. I didn't know this at the time. But when I, I was pregnant with my second child, I, um, I started having really bad swelling in my joints. Like the fluid would just pool up around my my and my knees hurt so badly. Like I couldn't even climb the stairs. And I mean, like I wanted to cry taking a step up the stairs and I'm so mad at my OB. And if I could just go off for a second here and say that patient sure. advocacy is another huge one of my things about, that I advocate for, because if your doctor is blowing you off, please go find a different doctor. I wish 
so much that I had left them and gone to a different doctor because I didn't go into it much, but they did some things during my twin pregnancy or didn't do some things that directly, um, like they didn't, anyway, they, they were negligent and I wish I had gone to a different place, but take care of yourself, you know, follow your gut instinct. Um, they were like, well, of course your knees hurt, you're pregnant. And I'm like, no, you ding dongs. This is not normal. <laughs> like my right. knees hurt a little bit because I put on 10 pounds. This is uh, I want to fall down every time I climb a stair, but they ignored me. And, um, you know, I just kind of suffered in silence because that's what we do a lot of times because we think I must be crazy. Nobody believes me. I've said I'm in pain. Right. They just shove me off. So, um, after the baby was born and, and nobody could really do anything anyway, because I was pregnant, nobody could do any x-rays or anything like that. So they were like, well, you know, check it out after, after you have the baby. So turns out that lupus is, um, is often, um, triggered by high levels of stress, pregnancy and other autoimmune issues. So I had all of those things going on. I'm working in counterterrorism. I home. I had his master's degree. <laughs> it was just like everything happening, right? So the perfect storm scenario. I already had another autoimmune disease. And um, I just remember after Ella was born uh, for about three months, I just tried to think maybe it'll go away. Maybe it'll go away. But it got to the point where it hurt so badly. I was afraid I was going to drop her in the bathtub because I could, the pain to stand up after giving her a bath was just out of control. Oh wow! So yeah. my mom was like, "Okay, it's it's time to go back to your endocrinologist and see what's going on." She thought it might be thyroid related because um, there are similar symptoms. But um, I went to the the endocrinologist and he was like, "No, I don't. I think it might be rheumatoid arthritis." So he referred me to a rheumatologist and they ran, I mean, I have probably the most conservative rheumatologist in the world. If there's a test to be done, they did it on me because <laughs> <laughs> they ran me through all kinds of stuff. And they were like, yes, your antibodies are really high. Yes. You definitely have an, another autoimmune disease happening here. And, um, and, you know, went through and, and basically wound up with, uh, he still to this day will not officially say lupus because I only have 11 of 12 markers. So uh -huh. <laughs> he, he was like, he's like, like I said, he's so conservative, but he treats, right. he said, I'm treating you as if you have lupus. That's what I believe it is. But he di officially diagnosed me with uh, non-differentiated tissue disease is his official diagnosis, but he medicates me and treats me as if I have lupus. Um, so they were able to get me some medication and, and um, the swelling eventually went down and the joints went down. But anytime it's a very, very, I live in South Carolina. It's very sun activated. I don't know why, but we are looking to move because I just like from basically June until October, I can't, I can't go outside. Oh, Wow flare-ups and just getting really, um, but I've noticed that diet makes a big difference with autoimmune diseases. Uh, stress makes a big difference. Exercise makes a big difference, all those things. But right. yes, so in answer to your question, <laughs> that was really long. I'm so Oh, sorry. no, that's great. <laughs> like you but said, I have a lot to say about myself. <laughs> That's great, though, because I want to hear all the things you have to say about yourself. That's why I wanted you to come today. So that's awesome. But um, so how do you how do you get all this done, right? With all these things happening with your body? How are you able to 
do all these things and do them well, because I can see, you know, I've kind of seen behind the scenes what you're doing. You're doing well. well thank you. So. Um, I, I, I don't know. I really, there are many <laughs> days where I ask myself the same thing. How do I get it all done? I, I, I push myself until it has to get done. Like I, I, I go and I go and I go until I can't go anymore, which is probably not the smartest thing to do considering my health situation. Um, but I get up early if that's what it takes. I go to bed late if that's what it takes. Um, I almost wound up divorced because of my everything going on. And my husband and I were actually separated for almost seven months. And we finally realized that that's not what we wanted. And, you know, we've been working very hard. Marriage is a lot harder than I ever imagined it would be. But I mean, with a great counselor and with commitment from both of our sides, we're actually in a very good place right now. So Oh, congratulations. That is a really hard thing to do. It is hard. To come back together like that and do that. So that is awesome that you've been able to do that. Yeah. And, um, but you know, it, it just, I just, I, I push myself really hard. I'm very, I've always been super motivated. I've always been super goal driven. Um, but I, I believe if you want something badly enough, you'll figure out how to do it. I, and I'm a super empathetic person. The one place where I have like zero tolerance is excuses because <laughs> like, right. you can make excuses from today until, until the day you die. But the reality is if you want to do something, you will figure it out. You will. And that's what I do. I, I figure it out. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Um, that is so cool. I'm actually, I'm writing that down. right now. <laughs> um, So, oh, so in the middle of all of this, do you, um, how are you about self-care? Like, do you take time for self-care stuff or? I was bad at it for a while, but I tell you what, it's something that I've made a priority in my life because if I don't take a break, I will get sick and, um, that sets me back even farther. So it's my self-care is uh is different like we don't have a lot of extra money so i don't like to spend money going to the spa or doing things like that although from time to time i will go get a massage but i don't spend a lot of money on hair or makeup or fingernails or anything like that but what i do is i am committed to a girls weekend with some of my best friends from college once a year every year uh we we make a weekend and it's amazing like how much refreshing to my soul that three days does for, right you know to, to be with those women for three days without kids without husbands without any of that stuff and then the other thing that I do is I try to make um everyday tasks be a little bit um more enjoyable by by doing like like I'll store up seven loads of laundry and I'll go to the bedroom and I'll turn on one of my shows that I feel like watching and I watch tv while I <laughs> while I fold laundry or something like that, you know? So it seems I'm, I'm knocking out two birds with one stone. I can binge watch, you know, this is us and get the laundry done. And, <laughs> well, think, and that's, that's such a good thing to remember too, is that even though we've got all this junk to do, like we can make it fun, mm -hmm. you know, even though, and, and give ourselves permission. I think that's, that's a hard thing as a mom to give yourself permission to have fun. Like we want everybody else to have fun. You know, we want to yeah. make sure our husbands are happy and our kids are laughing and we sometimes get so lost in the process. Yep. So that is a really good thing. Okay. And then, so I have 
two questions that I ask everybody. One is what advice would you give to somebody or to a grieving mom? The biggest advice I can, I, I, you know, it, if they're new to the process is to give themselves some grace and to take time to breathe and just go one day at a time and not try to, um, you know, to, to give themselves the time to grieve their time frame might be one week or six weeks, but just grace for themselves and to give themselves time are the biggest, the biggest things. And, and of course, to know that even though it seems impossible for them to imagine in the moment, they will smile again one day. Life will return to what I call a new normal. It never goes back to what it was before. And then I, I tell them to do kind of what, 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 what I did, which was to throw myself, if, it, if it's their nature, some people want nothing, right. but to throw themselves into doing stuff for other people. Because if you look at some of the most amazing things that have happened in our country and in our world, a lot of times there's a grieving mother behind those efforts. You know, that's true. I never really thought about that. There are a lot of things that are happening because... Yep, because of a grieving. I mom. mean, if you look about uh, Mothers Against Drunk Driving, if you look at some of the biggest institutions for funding and research on uh, cancer and and all these things, there's there's just amazing. Have come from from that from that grief. Okay, and the last thing I know your thing is lose your cape, and my thing is we have to quit being super mom. Like right. the super mom thing has got to go. But that my thing is everybody has your one thing that your superpower, like that you're good at. Even if people don't feel like they do, every one of us does. So, what is your superpower? Whoa! <laughs> oh my gosh, that's a, that's a good, good, good question. I would say. Oh, sorry, Jen. I think I missed this question in the thing, or I would have thought about it harder before. Oh, that's okay. Uh, I mean, I could list like five things that I think your superpower. <laughs> but. You know, I I would say it, my superpower is also my kryptonite, um, my empathy, my willingness, my my empathy for people, and willingness and and. A, desire to help them in their time of need and ability to do that. But it's also, um, it's also can be very, very draining as well. So <laughs> that's, yeah, that would, that, that's a tough one. Cause I, I, yeah, yeah, I can, I can understand how it can be both. But it brings me, you know, I, I, I wouldn't, as sometimes I think to myself that I wish I wasn't an empath. I wish I didn't feel so hard for other people, but it makes me who I am. So who you are is pretty great. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing everything and being so open and honest about things that a lot of people really struggle with being open about. And I love how much you are helping women. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to tell all the things about myself. See, I like to talk too. So, you know, we could just talk all day long, but, um, but thank you again for being on today. Yes, exactly. Hopefully we can work together later doing something. I would love to. Thank you so much, Alexa, for being on the show. And thank you for listening. I'm so glad that you're with me on this journey. 
It's women like Alexa that make me want to do this podcast and share it with you. Because when you look at Alexa's life, there are so many times that she could have just given up with her circumstances and with her health, but she didn't. She chose to keep moving forward in a positive direction. She took something that was devastating and she turned it into something beautiful for other people. And it just goes to show us that we really can keep moving on, no matter what's happening. Find something, even if you can't do it for yourself, find something that you can do for other people, because you are valuable and you are worth it. And we need you here in this world doing whatever it is that you're meant to do. So thank you again for being here and spending your time here. If you like this episode, I would love it if you would subscribe to the podcast. You could take it a step further and rate and review it. That's how the podcast players know to put it in front of other women who need to hear the same message. So if you could do that, that would be great. This episode was sponsored by the book, The Sick Mom's Guide to Having Fun Again. If I can do it, you can too. And it's available at all major online booksellers. Today's episode was introduced by Nikki Brown and our song is A New Day by Scott Holmes. Look forward to seeing you next week.